0: So Jude, what a book it is. It's often overlooked. Okay, Jude's little bitty postcard. Look at it. I hope you guys have found it. It's towards the end of the uh, New Testament, right before Revelation, which is the last book. Only 25 verses long, and it's sandwiched in between these letters that John the Apostle wrote. Okay, The trilogy of love that we have in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And then we have this fast paced, mysterious, exciting book of Revelation, which in two weeks, guys, men's Bible study Thursday mornings, we're going to be starting studying Revelation, so join us, that will be fun. But, what an awesome, catch it, cream filling. Okay, you guys know what an Oreo cookie is, right? They used to be my favorite thing in the world before I had to go gluten-free. They're beautiful and wonderful. And I had a hard time doing up this picture because my mouth started to... Salivate and, and I wanted a but what's the best part? It's the green filling. Okay, it's really good and it's sandwiched between these two Oreo cookies. And one thing, if you've studied the Book of Jude before, you know that it's a warning that the Apostle Peter and actually Paul and Jesus Himself warned us in the Scriptures about false teachers. But there's a warning specifically in 2 Peter 2 where Peter prophesied that there would be false teachers that would come. And then Jude here says that they're already here. It is happening now and is at work. And one thing I love about Jude, it is the way he wrote. It's very dynamic. It's cool. He uses a lot of figures of Beach. He talks about shepherds and clouds, these trees and waves and stars. And he also wrote often in these triads, okay? And possibly, if you take the time and try to figure it out in these short 25 verses, 18 maybe, okay? That's how many I found. But we saw just in verse 1, called, sanctified, preserved. And then verse 2, there's mercy, peace, love. He does that all the way through, which I think is really cool. Now, Let's consider for a moment before we jump in the military. Do you guys know that if you're in the military, you have daily routines? Some of you guys have served, okay? And you know that there was a cycle of this drilling and training that would take place for battles that most hoped would never ever happen. Yet, if an enemy threatens a nation's freedom, if well-trained soldiers are in a place of being ready and even in a place ready to die. And they're doing that for what reason? To ensure freedom for future generations. And that's something we want to be about as the church. Okay, We want the next generation to know the truth. So what's true with the military is also true for the church. We pray that our enemies will never infiltrate our ranks with destructive doctrines But if they do, we must be ready to fight for our beliefs. Do you know what you believe? Have you studied 2 Timothy 2.15 to show yourselves approved to God? Workman who's rightly divided the word. Have you done that personally? Or are you sitting there this morning, well, <laughs> my pastor knows his stuff, and whatever they say, that's what we're going to roll with. No, there's false teachers that are going to come and be in the church, as we're going to see in a few weeks in the Gospel of Matthew. They're actually in the church, guys. And we need to know the Word to be Berean, so when they do come, we know what is right, what God has said in His Word, to be able to discern those things, to be able to fight for our beliefs. So I like to look at Jude as a really good field commander. Okay, he, revi- he, he, he realizes the importance of stirring our fighting spirit. So he gives us a look at our enemy, a look that will motivate any Christian to get involved in the battle. Because if we're honest, most Christians are very happy just being on the sideline. I'm okay right here. You few that are willing to go fight, be warm, be filled. I'll pray for you, brother, sister. Shame on us, okay? Are we to fight the good fight of faith? Absolutely. That's how I want to go down. That's how I want us all to go down. Why? Because it's what God's called us to. And he's worthy of it, guys. Time is short. And there is a battle going on over the souls of men, and we should be engaging. So he gives us this very hard look at our enemy in this book, a look that will motivate us to get involved into this battle, and then we're going to get this pumping pre-battle speech here by General Jude. So the question before we jump in here, how are Christians to react to this danger? Well, General Jude says we need to contend earnestly for the faith. So we are to defend God's truth in the body of doctrine That we find in the scriptures. Okay, the New Testament calls it the faith. We need to contend for the faith. Are there a lot of faiths out there today? Oh, yeah, many faiths. Can they all be right? I don't think so. It's just kind of logical. You know, you can't say you're true because what they're saying is really, really different from what you're saying, and they say they're true, and these guys over here say they're right. And everybody thinks they're right. That isn't logical. Can't work. Because they're so radically different. makes no sense. Okay. Jesus said broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to everlasting life. So it's on us. Are we going to seek the truth? Do we even care about the truth? Or are we going to say, hey, that's good for you. As long as you're happy and you believe what you believe if we believe and we're logical that there's one truth, well, you might be wrong. I might be wrong. Maybe we should actually take time and seek God. Find out what is right, what is wrong. And if we are wrong, repent and get right. Okay? So I love that Jude is so in our face this way. Hey, contend earnestly for the faith. It's something we need to do. We are soldiers who hold the fort at any cost. So, Jude rallies the troops here in verse 3, and then he prepares for battle by warning uh, them of the enemy in verses 4 to 16. And then he sends off uh, these guys, hey, we want you to be equipped, fully equipped. And that's verses 17 to 25. So really, this, guys, what you hold in your hand, the Word of God, this is our survival guide. All things that pertain to life and godliness are found in this. Okay? This is it. And most people have never read it. <laughs> okay? This is what we need to know. And for us who are believers, it is our safeguard. It is our survival manual. I pray that you guys are in the Word of God on a regular basis. Uh, I do believe that that really is um, the goal of our fellowship here, at least as your pastor if I see a church that we're all being diligent in studying and seeking the Lord on a regular basis on our own, I would say, amen, we're doing a good job. okay? But that's not always the case. If we're honest, we go through seasons, man, I haven't read the Word in weeks. Okay, I'm being tossed to and fro. Satan's getting the best of me. What's going on here? I'm not being bold in my faith. I'm not walking with the Lord like I once did. Let me tell you what, there's something about the Word of God that keeps us. But let me tell you what, we've got to keep it. Okay. God's not going to force it upon us. He didn't force you to come here this morning, did He? I hope not. Okay. God wants hearts that, hey, you want to seek me. You want to know me. You want to worship me. That's what pleases God. And we should be seeking. That's what ple- the Lord's looking for those whose hearts are loyal to Him. So, how should Christians react to this danger? Okay, We have the Scriptures. So the application for you and I today, guys, is the book is a solemn warning to Christians everywhere since all are subject to the same doctrinal and also practical errors. So all believers need to avoid the pitfalls of denying Christ's lordship, following after fleshly desires, rejecting authority, being divisive, and living for self. Pretty basic things. And we find here the call in verses 1-4 through to contend for the faith. So take a look with me at verse 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, a brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Christ Jesus, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, um, he says, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to all the saints. For Christian men, they have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for condemnation, ungodly men, who turn the grace of God into lewdness, and they deny the Lord God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Jude starts off his letter by writing to his readers, letting them know who he, who he was. Do you guys know that Jude was a half-brother of Jesus? I think that's pretty cool, as was James. We see that in Mark chapter 6, verse 3 also in Acts chapter 1 verse 13 and 14 as they were sharing in that prayer meeting before Pentecost but Jude doesn't boast in his human relationship to Christ I would hey Jesus with my hat brother how cool is that you know but Jude didn't he prefers to call himself a bond servant a doulos okay a slave by choice of Jesus a slave to Jesus Christ and the brother of James now, this little word preserved, okay? Um, remember when your mom, maybe it was probably more of our grandma's. You guys ever remember them making preserves? Okay? that was Now they just throw in all our food for us. We don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. Um, but why were they called preserves? Because they were preserved to keep from spoiling. That's why they made the preserves. So the food wouldn't spoil. So the fruits and the raw... Uh, if they were untreated, they would soon deteriorate, decay, they would perish. But these preserved fruits lasted indefinitely because they were impregnated with sugar. So sugar, catch this, is the secret. Okay, <laughs> One cookbook recommended, and I loved it, one cup of sugar for one cup of fruit. Talk about yummy, right? <laughs> so if I'm preserved in Christ, and I don't want you guys to miss this, is there anything sweeter than that? Is there? If you are preserved in God Almighty, preserved, kept from spoiling in Christ Jesus. That's sweet. Would you guys agree with me? Even sweeter than Oreo cookies. Okay? So we as Christians are called then to be sweet to all, okay, at all times, if we're preserved in Christ, impregnated with Christ, filled with Him. Okay, if you are born again of the Spirit of God, you are a new creation. His Holy Spirit lives within you. So, the word preserved in the Greek is terio. Kana almost sounds like Oreo, terio. Okay, (laughs) in the original. It means to guard against loss or spoiling. Isn't that cool? That's what this word means. So the Christian is to be watched over by the Lord and he guards and he protects us. And it's interesting that the same word Peter used it, uh, terio, this word was used as reserved in 1 Peter 1.4, for if we have an inheritance incorruptible, reserved terio for us in heaven. So we are preserved in Christ Jesus and our inheritance is reserved for us in heaven heaven so what security think about that guys i love the word of god armenians have a hard time with this concept but if we are in christ we are preserved we are secure period and it's not our doing it is his doing so we are preserved our salvation is reserved in both words mean to guard against loss or spoiling I love that God put this into his word. Okay, there will be no loss. There will no be no spoiling in Christ Jesus. And aren't you guys thankful for that? You know, and he is faithful, isn't he? Because there's time like, oh, <laughs> I feel like I'm falling apart. I'm decaying. I'm spoiling. I'm over. I'm done. I can't go on. But isn't he faithful to keep us? Yeah, that's our God. So, and this should make us sweet like the one whom we are preserved. And then check out verses 3 and 4. It talks here that Jude wanted to write concerning our salvation, but he felt impressed to warn instead of these enemies, infiltrators that would creep in to their camp, like little cockroaches that crawl in at night unnoticed. Has that ever happened to you guys? Yeah. James is like, I lived in the south, you know where do they come from? You turn on the light. Ah! Anyways, that's what Judah's saying. This is going to happen in the church. So, these wicked men were like a few drops of poison in the water system of believers. So, only one drop of cheap grace, okay? What could that hurt? Only one little drop. What would that really do? You see, only one drop of denial, okay? Is that, if I deny Christ, who cares? like the incarnation of Christ. Oh, no big deal. We'll believe the other stuff. We just won't believe that. Okay? He said he wanted to write about common salvation. This is the whoever, right? Common salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Don't you love that? I do. Sorry Calvinists. <laughs> Whoever, okay? This is why we got to be so careful when it comes to Bible doctrine. What does God say? It doesn't matter what they teach. What does God say, guys? And let me tell you what, when he says that he loves this world, that whoever believes in it, I believe what God says about that. If you're not saved here this morning, God loves you. He wants you. You can put your faith in him because he loves you. He doesn't hate you and he's not going to send you to hell and not give you a choice. But the person next to you, he'll make believe. That's just silliness, guys. Sorry, I'm getting sidetracked. I just love the word. We need to watch out. This is what Jude is telling us about. Watch out for this bad teaching. Well, it's only one little point. The rest of their teaching is phenomenal. It is all good. So, it's open. It's inviting here. It's welcome. It's vast. This common salvation that Jude is talking about. I love that. So, it is applicable. It's also appropriate for all. You see, the gospel, guys, it's not like a river that branches out into different streams. One for the rich and another for the intellectual. We'll have another over here for the poor. You know, another for the illiterate, maybe another one off this way for the nobodies. That's not how God rolls, guys. Okay? There's one way. So no, all of us are one in common. Okay? We're all in need as sinners. There's no one here perfect. We're all in the same boat, right? We're all in need. So there is this one common salvation which avails us all. So one that is not for kings and lords, priests, prime ministers, but also the forgotten on death row or the earthware of Skid Row. Okay? We're all there. And Jude then tells us in verse three, he rallies the troops to contend earnestly for the faith. So struggle for, exercise great effort. Okay. That's what we're to do. I don't like exercise. Me neither. But if God's telling us to do this, guess what? We should do it. Okay? Well, it will hurt if I do it. Yeah. But if you stick with it, guess what? It's going to get easier and easier and easier. That's why we're called to contend for the faith. And it's from the Greek word epagonsamia. It's where we get our word agonize. Earnestly contend. agonize for the faith. It's used in athletic contests. The pictures of two wrestlers that are grappling, that are sweating, that are straining their muscles to the point where uh, that they're bursting as to agonize against uh, each other for a prize. That's the word that Jude uses here. We are to agonize for the faith in such a way. Well, I try to contend... And then I get pushed back. So I just give up. I lost. No. We argue. We argue. We do it in love. We speak that truth in love. But we argue. You know, and if anyone's willing to talk to me, I'll argue with them until I pass out. Like, hey, I'm going to lay out the gospel. I'm going to stand in the truth. I can prove that this is God's inspired word. There's not another religious book that even comes close. There are things that this book is set apart from every other writing upon the planet. Okay? There's no wishful thinking. It's not a blind faith. It is a sure. God's not playing games. Jesus wasn't lying about who he was. Okay, I am not going to back down from the faith. Well, there's other things I'll back down from because they're not eternally significant. But when it comes to the gospel and the faith, guys, we're not to do that don't do that we stand our ground this is the truth especially within the church so don't let anyone pin your faith to the ground without a struggle that's what i'm trying to get at okay so for the faith do you guys catch that it's for the faith this is what we're contending for the complete body of Christian truth concerning God, the Bible, who Jesus is, sin, redemption, heaven, and so on. It's also a faith delivered once and for all. You guys catch that in verse 3? So we can't change one word. You guys understand that? We can't do that with God's word. Okay? These are His scriptures. We don't mess with them. Not one word. They are absolutes. So a solid nucleus of truth that can't be amended, erased, or molded to suit each new generation's lifestyles. Because let me tell you what, things are changing. Okay, I met with a friend of mine the other day. We went to high school together and we just mentioned, just hey, things have changed a lot since we were in school. That wasn't that long ago. But things are radically changing. Quickly! But does God change because we're changing? God doesn't change, guys. He stays the same. So, it is possible to contend for the faith without being contentious. Can I say that again? It is possible to contend for the faith without being contentious. And if we look at verse 4 together, ever notice how exhilarating and refreshing rain can be? Oh, this is so nice. Do you ever see those worms? The slugs, the snails come out after it's raining for a while. That's kind of gross, right? What are they doing out? They come out of hiding. They slime along their way. They start chewing up stuff, devouring things, everything that's in their path. So with a fresh blowing of revival in the church by the Holy Spirit, which I was told on Facebook yesterday, that's happening again down in Pensacola, Florida. I don't know if that, I would love to see a revival. We should pray for that, okay? But let me tell you what, when revival does happen, we're going to know it. Okay? It's going to be on what the church can do in their efforts. Okay? Beyond any one man and his teaching and preaching, it's going to be a work, a move of God. His Holy Spirit will pour out. People will be repenting from all walks of life and turning to him. Radical transformation will be happening. That's revival. Study church history. I love reading about revivals. Okay? They can't be explained. God stirs His church to pray and then He moves in a powerful way. That's how revivals are shook out throughout history. I want to think, man, if we just teach the Word of God, then revival's going to break out. No, people don't like us teaching the Word of God. They don't like what God has to say because they want to be on the throne of their own lives and be their own God and what they think, in their opinion, is the only thing that matters. Okay? That's where we're at right now. But when revival breaks out, people do start caring. There will be repentance. And it's a beautiful thing. Do you believe God can do that? I absolutely do. Okay? I hope to see that in my lifetime. I think that'd be so fun to be a part of. There's so many loved people, so many friends of mine that I want to see come to know Jesus. Can't make them do it. I can argue with them about the faith. <laughs> contend for the faith. But, so, what was I talking about? Was I talking about slugs? It was. So the, the point is, there are spiritual pretenders that are going to come in after a move of God. And that's what we've got to be careful of. Okay, God may be on the move, and we've got to watch out Okay, for these false teachers. And they come in with a base profession of grace, and they whisk away newborn babes. That's what happens. There's a cheap grace being taught out there today and do whatever you want, and God's going to forgive you. Can God forgive anything? Absolutely. But that's not what the grace of God is for. Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? Paul, in the original language, said, hell no! <laughs> that's literally what he said. That's not what we ought to do. We're still going to sin in life, guys. You all know that. Okay? But we don't sin at the expense of God's grace. Okay? It's not a cheap grace. He gives us grace so we can live holy lives. So we can walk uprightly. So when we do fall down, we can get back up because of that grace and keep going. And there is grace upon grace and it's for His glory. It's not, hey, sin all week long and go make a confession and we're all good to go for another week of partying. I don't see that in the Scriptures. Do you guys see that in the Scriptures? No. So, anyways, this is what he's worried about: is these teachers coming in, okay, and distorting the grace of God. So they turn the grace of God into lewdness. You guys, check that out in verse four. Okay, they turn the grace of God into lewdness. So it means they told people that grace permitted them to live as they pleased. You're set free in Christ. Okay? You've been born again. Do whatever you want. What Bible are they reading, guys? It's not in the Word of God. I've been bought with a price. My life is no longer mine. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave His life for me. That's what the grace of God is for. That's what the Scriptures speak to. So, This little word turn here means to transpose. So they transpose grace from freedom to obey Christ to freedom to sin. Do you guys see how radical those two messages are? Radically different. Okay? You're free to sin. No. You're free to obey God now. You can walk uprightly. You don't have to sin anymore. A sinner has to sin. They're the ones that are not free, but once you are set free by the grace of God, we can actually do what we've been created to do: to love Him, to worship Him, to keep going. Okay? So, let's move on to the next part here: verses 5 to 16. Jude lays out for us four tactics of the traitors, he gives us four reasons not to follow them, and it's because of their end. Their mouth, their emptiness, and their lifestyle. So look at verses 5 to 7 with me because of their end. Jude writes this But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode and has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner of, or to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh and set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So the first reason here not to follow them was because they were on the same path of judgment as those unbelieving Israelites, as the fallen angels in the cities that uh, uh, that were on the plain there also. So how foolish to follow them down the same path that you know is booby-trapped, or has landmines, or a ticking bomb at the end with your name on it. Don't go there. Don't do that, is what Judas telling us. And then in verse 6, the angels who defiled God were judged and imprisoned in Tartarus. Okay, that's a special part of hell. And then we're told in verses 8 to 10, well, it's also because of their mouth. And I don't know if you guys are catching this or not, but as Judas laying this out, it's not exactly what they believe. Okay? But how they're living. Are you guys catching this? It's actually looking in. How are they living? And let me tell you what a lot of false teachers I know, if you actually look into their lives, pretty crooked, pretty self centered. It's all about them, their ministries, getting rich, having their way. It's sad. Anyways, we got to watch out for their mouths. Verse 8 Likewise, also these dreamers defile. Dreamers defile the flesh. They reject authority and they speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael, the archangel, and we know he was pretty darn cool, is contending with the devil when he was disputing about the body of Moses, dare not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you, but these speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, In these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them! For they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. So the second reason not to follow them was because they had bad mouthed all that were in authority over them. So, verse 8, they didn't hold to the truth, but they had their own dreams as opinions. Okay? It's all about what I want. It's about the dreams I'm having. Who cares about truth? Oh. Can I share with you guys one of my pet peeves real quick? Is the pastor being in leadership? Mm-hmm. Uh. Okay, I get a lot of emails. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Like I want to be a good leader. Okay. I want to follow Jesus well. So is people follow me? Okay. I'm following Christ. It's not my dreams. It's not my agenda. And I get all this stuff sent to me on how to grow a church. And it's all about having vision. Okay, Because Jesus Christ and the gospel, it's not enough. You need to play CEO as a pastor. You need to build your staff. And you have to have certain kind of people around you. And if they don't perform in such a way, they're to be fired. And you move on and you find somebody that's going to be able to help you execute your vision for the church. And your vision is what's going to drive. And then you look into some of these churches that have taken this approach, this methodology to doing ministry. And you just look simply, say, at their mission statement. And it's just like, well, wait a minute. It's very self centered. It's about our happiness. It's about our lives. It's about the future generation and what we want for them. And if we don't do something now, that's not going to happen for them. If it's not Jesus Christ, who cares? Okay? And it might be for some of these men. Okay? I don't know why they do what they do. But let me tell you what so much of it is centered around man. And that's what we're seeing today happen in the church. These are things that Jude wrote 2,000 years ago that are still relevant today. Hey, it's about my dreams. No, it's about Jesus Christ. Period. Okay? I have dreams. There's things I'd love to see for the glory of God, for the gospel. I don't know if that's what God has or not. I do know what he's asked of me because it's pretty clear in Scripture. And if I start getting away from the Word of God, then I start getting into my stuff. And let me tell you what, I'm a fallible man. We're all fallible, aren't we? The Word of God says our hearts are deceitful and wicked above all things. Do I really know best? Let me tell you, I take a lot of comfort in the Word of God. I love that we just teach the Word. Okay. I carry a lot of burdens in life that I probably shouldn't, but just camping on the Word of God is so freeing. It's like, okay, God, like I want the best for your church. I love my brothers and sisters. I want to see us loving you, loving each other, living for your glory, sharing the Gospel. I, you know, These are things I want, but ultimately, you know what's needed for us. and You've told us that it's very important, precept upon precept, line upon line, that all Scripture is given, and we're going to take that serious. Could we do it better? Absolutely. Do we work to doing that better? Absolutely. I hope we're all growing and studying the Word of God, getting it right that we can give it right. But let me tell you what, we start moving away from here, those other things can easily consume and become what ministry is all about. And that's what I've observed, at least in a lot of the American church today. And shame on us. We should take a little letter from Jude and take it serious. These things are going to happen. These false teachers are going to come in. They're going to turn the grace of God into lewdness. Going to make it all about us. And let me tell you what, guys. This life is short. And all that we do in this life, what we do for ourselves, doesn't really matter. The things that are eternal are what we've done for Jesus Christ. That's what His Word says. So let's be about His business, huh? Okay. Is that enough? Sidetracking? Good. There's just so much of it going on in the church. Honestly, I would love to just get one email exhorting me as a pastor. This is it, brother. doesn't matter how big your church is. You don't have to have a church that's growing in numbers. Are you being faithful to the... I'd be, I'd be so stoked. Maybe I should send that out to some other pastor. Hey, guys! <laughs> that's it. Um, verse 9. So this is to il- it illustrates for us this truth, Okay is the magnitude of their blasphemies. That's what verse 9 is speaking of. And this is believed to be taken from the book of the Assumption of Moses or the Testament of Moses. Have you guys read that? Fun read. Not scripture, but a lot of cool history laid out in there. Uh, It's in the Jewish Apocrypha. um, Very doubtful uh, authenticity to it because... um, It wasn't found until the mid-1900s, and they only got one copy of the thing. So where did it come from? Because the New Testament, people question the Word of God. Is it really, so much has changed over years? We have over 26,000 copies of the New Testament. There's crazy amounts of manuscripts, okay? It can't be denied. Things weren't messed with. What you hold in your hand today is the same as what it was 2,000 years ago. Okay. But anyways, this book, it's kind of fun to read. They have a lot of insights into it. Um, most scholars believe that it was probably from the early first century. But it basically reads that the archangel Michael was sent to bury the body of Moses when Lucifer uh, intercepted him to claim the body. And Michael showed no disrespect to Lucifer, but left the matter to the judge of all creatures, saying, The Lord rebuke you. And it may be referring, you guys can jot down Zechariah 3, uh, the first five verses in Zechariah 3 also speaks to this. Uh, It was also said that God hid the body of Moses, lest it be made an idol, which would make sense, right? We like to worship things. Um, So the point, Michael, top-gun angel carefully, weighed his words even against wicked angels. So how presumptuous of us, Or, yeah, presumptuous are these apostates here that rail against righteous angels, the second part of verse 8. So, the application why do some feel free today to say, I rebuke you, Satan? I'll never know. You know, who are we to say that? The Lord rebuke you. Okay? He's the powerful one, He's the one with the authority. Okay? And I've been in some camps and groups of people who love to pray, I love praying with people. If you want to pray, let's get us together. But I pray with some people who love binding Satan. You know, I'm praying with them. It's just like, hey, you just bound him five minutes ago. And now you're binding him again. How he got out that quick? Like, how long do these prayers last? You know. Anyways, um, verse ten. If they didn't understand something like the incarnation, they would criticize it. So. What do you know from their fleshly minds? Well, en- they end up corrupting them. That's what it says. Uh, I want to share with you guys about Valkel Havel. He was a playwright, esenist, a philosopher, um, dissentist. Uh, he was the first president for the Czech Republic. But I love what he said. And I know I've shared this quote with you guys before, but I just love it. He says, The tragedy of modern man is not that he knows less and less about the meaning of his own life, but that it bothers him less and less. That's exactly what's going on. I share Jesus with people. Why? Because I know God loves them. I know hell's going to suck real bad. I know God doesn't want them going there. And it's just amazing in the last few decades, couple decades, people care less and less about eternity and about the reality of heaven and hell and about whether they're right with God or not. We are swinging so fast, guys. Who cares? There's not even that reverence. You know? I used to talk to people all the time I know I'm going to hell, I know I'm rebelling against God. You know, now people look at me and just laugh. <laughs> there's no hell. There's no God. What do you talk? It's sad. It's sad. All right, let's move on. I'm going to get this done this morning. Because of their emptiness. Look at verse 11 to 13 with me. It says here, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots on your love feasts. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, they are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up on their own shame, uh, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. So the third reason not to follow them, guys, is because they followed in the footsteps of these three Amigos, self-contempted Cain. We have By me Balaam and rebellious Korah. Okay? If you're not familiar with these guys, you should check them out in Scripture. I had fun the last week with our family. These, All three of these guys came up in our Bible reading. And there's just a lot of neat insight to this. And this is why Judas is bringing it up. So let's first look at self-contempt Cain, uh, who offered... The first works instead of trusting in the blood of the Lamb. We see Cain brought up in Genesis chapter 4. You can read that later. So the way of Cain is the way of man-made religion. And that's every religion in the world, guys. What can I do to get saved? Every religion in the world teaches that. Every single one, except for one religion. It's not about what you do. Because you can't do it, but what God has done, He alone is Savior. So uh, it's the revelation that God has given to us, okay? The blood of the Savior, and then we have uh, like the Buy Me Balaam that we read of in Numbers chapter twenty-two and twenty-five. Um, he's trying to sell their prof- prophecies were for sale. Hey, whatever you want, we'll give you money. Just do, and that's what's happened today. We have itchy ears, okay? i got pastor friends that are making three figures. Okay, They haven't taught a book of the Bible in many years. It's series after series after series because my people have itchy ears and they're having financial issues. So we're going to talk about finances for the next six weeks. And then after that, we're going to spend six weeks on parenting because their kids are a mess and we need to figure out how to Get them right. (laughs) It's all these series. Anyways, um, the error of Balaam involved leading others into sin for personal gain. So Balaam knew the truth, but deliberately led Israel into sin that he might make some money. And then we have the rebellious Korah that defy the authority of God's chosen vessels of truth, which we find in Numbers chapter 16. Korah and his followers rejected the divine authority given to Moses and tried to assume power for themselves. False teachers promote themselves and override the authority of God's servants. So verses 12 and 13 really speak to this danger that we find in their religion. We read of spots or stains or hidden reefs. They're like one bad sunflower seed. They have no fear, respect. They fatten themselves. They're doubly dead, ripped up, fruitless trees, ready for the fire. They're foaming at the mouths. They're like these shooting stars that shine briefly. Then they vanish into the darkness forever. So these false teachers promise much, but they produce little. Rainless clouds, okay, uh, when it is so needed. So what is called, or what have some called cars while cruising, um, Anyways, all show but no go. That's pretty much what he's saying here. Alright, I'm starting to pick it up. We've got a lot to get through yet. Next one. Because of their lifestyles. Verses 14 to 16. It talks about Enoch here. He was the seventh from Adam. Okay, you guys know Adam was the first man. So he would be the seventh grandchild down the line prophesied about these men also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all "...to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him." So the fourth reason not to follow them is here's where General Jude shreds their shoddy sheep-shroud for us, exposing their filthy garments, right? Right? He speaks of Enoch fastens these false, or yeah, fastens these false teachers here uh, to the wooden stake. They're called ungodly four times. Did you guys catch that? And if you note the last ungodly sinners or sinful sinners, Enoch being the seventh from Adam, you can count them there in Genesis chapter five. And here Jude quotes from the apocryphal book of Enoch, Enoch one nine, preserved today in those Dead Sea Scrolls. I think they found it in Cave Four pretty fun read but this doesn't mean that however the book of enoch is inspired or equal to the scriptures you guys know that okay good so even pagan works contain truth in them we see that you guys remember when paul was on athens he quoted three different poets of the day okay they're all heretics but there were truths that they spoke out and we can grab those things and speak to them anyways um one more thing i want to catch or you guys to catch um, yeah, I don't need to share that. Um, verse 15, okay, to convict all. Okay, I, I love that. I hope you guys have that circled there. Uh, I saw a cartoon on leadership, in a leadership uh, magazine. It showed a picture uh, taking place after a church service, and it said this in the caption, Powerful sermon, pastor. Thoughtful well-researched, I can always see myself in them. And I want you to knock it off. (laughs) I liked that one, because it is. That's what the Word of God does. It speaks to us. It's hard when you're in that place of being open before the Lord and real it's hard to listen to a sermon and not be hit. It's just like, whoa, you're speaking to me, you know? I had a fun, At one time, I had, uh, did youth ministry for years. These girls got in the car after a youth group and were complaining to their mom, I can't believe you called Pastor Landon and told on us. I not have a clue what's going on in their family, in their home. But it's just one of those things, the Word of God speaks powerfully into our lives. Anyways, let's move on. Verses 17 to 19, But you, beloved, but you beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who'd walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. So a good general here, after explaining where the enemy is in their midst, and what they do, their tactics, he now hits them here with their own battle strategy or safeguards. So with your own binoculars, you know, you can search five distinguishing markings. Check these out in verses 18 and 19, that they are mockers. Whoops. I'll get there. There we go. That they're mockers, have ungodly lusts, they're sensual persons, in other words, worldly. They cause divisions and they're devoid of the Spirit. So once apostates cut loose the anchor of Scripture, they freely follow the winds of their own lusts without remorse. Now the believer in self, look at verse 20 with me. But you, beloved, building yourselves up, this is so important for us. If you're a Christian, grab a hold of this. Okay, We're to be building ourselves up. What? On the most holy faith praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So believers are to be building on the word of God, praying in the power of God, keeping in the love of God, and expecting the eternal mercy of God. So verse 20, contend earnestly for the faith. We read in verse 3, right? okay so that complete body of christian truth they are absolutes solid truth that can be you know that can't be amended that can't be erased okay can't be molded to suit each new generation okay whatever lifestyles we're in truth is truth okay and then verse 20 also says that we ought to be praying praying not in the spirit um, I pray, yeah, praying not in the Spirit is in the flesh. Okay? You guys know that? And we get very fleshly, don't we? Lord, I want, I want, I want. He does care about us. And we can pray about things going on in our lives. He does love and care. But let me tell you what, are we really in the Spirit when we're praying in such a way? You know? What's going on? What are you up to, God. What do you want me to be praying about? Where do I need to be interceding? Where can I be praying for the body of Christ, for my brothers and sisters, what they're going through? It's hard for us to have that mentality because it's so inward. All, it's me. Me, 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 me. This is what's going on in my life. Okay, It's not, again, wrong to pray about that stuff. But if we're praying in the Spirit, it's not fleshly. Okay? And when it is about me, hopefully it's because... And the intentions are there for the glory of Christ, ultimately. So, praying in that, we must shoot the Lord's arrows back to Him. I love Andrew Murray. He said this, Let it be your business every day in the secrecy of the inner chamber to meet the Holy God, and you will be repaid for your trouble that it may cost you. The reward will be sure and rich. I love that. Also in verse 21 keeping so we do not keep ourselves saved but we should keep ourselves in the love of God by obeying his word okay does that make sense to you guys okay we can't keep ourselves saved because we didn't save ourselves okay we didn't get, we didn't do it okay it's all God So what we do do is keep ourselves in the love of God. That's a sweet spot to be in. So keep yourselves in the love of God. So we are called to an everlasting preoccupation with God. And then verse 21 also talks about expecting. So stop remembering why you're fighting. Focus when the war is over, eternal bliss. So to build up your faith, pray with your heart, with the heart of God. Keep in the love of God and expect eternal mercies of God. Pretty cool. And then verses 22 and 23 speak to the believer and sinners. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but on others with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments defiled with the flesh. So Jude here instructs us on how to deal with three types of sinners. Here's how to take care of the battle, uh, the battle scarred, those in great doubt or great danger or great depravity here. Those who are in great doubt, verse 22, were to be what? Be merciful to those who doubt. That's how the NIV puts it. Okay? Be merciful to those those doubting in battle. Show them compassion. And then in verse 23, those who are in great danger, save the defectors. So those who are going AWOL, absent without official leave. The NIV puts it as have mercy with Fear, for you could be in the same place if not by the grace of God. So pulling them out of the fire, a burning building, okay? With a shoulder pull technique, whatever. Just get them the heck out of there. And then it says, those who are in great depravity, verse 23, hating. So instead of hating them as traitors, we should hate the sin that's destroying them. That's what Jude's getting at. Does that make sense? Okay? And it's easy to start hating people. How dare they? <laughs> you know? No, hate the sin. So defiled garments is spoken of. If a wounded soldier that you that you would come upon, say would have posed an oak all over his uniform, you'd help him by discarding the uniform so it wouldn't, you know, spread or get you. So this stain has actually gone down even to the undergarment. In the original language. So it is dirty. The image actually comes from Leviticus 13, verses 47 to 59. Check that out later. Where the priests were to burn the lepers' polluted garments, underwear, okay, Uh, that carried the disease. So hate the disease, even the garments that are destroying him, but not the person. So, closing thoughts. What is our concept of evangelism then? Great. Contend for the faith we got to wrestle through this. How do we look at evangelism? Do we see it like a strong horseradish where people praise it with tears in their eyes? Oh, great? Ah! You know? Or for some people, evangelism is an evangelical mugging mission, right? Where we go into a phone booth and we come out with this big old S on our, our chest, right? And we charge into our neighborhood. You know, seldom our one uh, or seldom our uh, own, but You know, we're trying to win people to Christ. There's others, some kind of evangelical ambush where we, if we're honest, we lure them in. Hey, come here. We're going to have free food and concerts and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, hammer them with the gospel, you know, sing 22 verses of Just As I Am or whatever. Um, some people think of evangelism as bombing mission, where from a protective cloud cover at some thirty thousand feet, we fill backwards, uh, or, yeah, our backyards with these gospel bombs. And for others, evangelism is herding fish into stained glass aquarium where the big fisherman throws a lure from the pulpit. Um, I pray that we're you know we're compassionate, like the firefighters, right? going back into a building because there, there's another victim there. There's another person that needs to hear the gospel. I know it's dangerous, but I'm going to keep going until the last one's saved. I think that's the heart that God wants us to have when it comes to evangelism. In the last two verses of this chapter or this book okay, speaks to the believer and the Savior, now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Okay, this really speaks to Jesus' ministry, his current ministry, okay, preventing us from falling down here. So now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. In one sense, the path to heaven is a very safe one in other respects. There is no road so dangerous. It is full of difficulties. One false step and down we go. What a slippery path. Some of us have to tread. But many times we uh, exclaimed with the psalmist, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. So if we were strong Sure-footed mountaineers, this would not matter so much. But in ourselves, how weak are we? This is where we got to be honest. In ourselves, we're pretty weak, right? So we have many foes who try to either trip us up or to push us down. So our road is rough and we are weak. Only an almighty arm can preserve us from unseen foes seeking to destroy us. And such an arm is engaged and ever ready to keep us from falling. Isn't that cool? So God, I'm not able to my, save myself. I'm not able to live up to your expectations. I'm not able to save my marriage. I'm not able to be good enough. I'm not able to not stumble. I'm not able to live spotless. I'm not able. But now to him who is able... Do you guys get what Jude's getting at here? He's the one who is able. So, the second part then speaks of his coming ministry in verse 24, presents us faultless up there. So, to this present, you are faultless before his presence, your his glory with exceeding joy. So, his keeping power can not only keep you from falling into sin, but also bring you out of sin. In the power to keep us safe, and it compels us then um, to keep ourselves closer to Him, which we read about in verse 21. So let faultless, yep, faultless roll around in your mind for a while. okay? Just one little word, think on it, to present you faultless. OK? How many of us are at fault? We all are but Jesus is able to present us faultless. I think that's pretty cool. Right? Okay, so we are far from it now, but as our Lord never stops short of perfection in his work of love, we shall reach it one day. So the Savior who will keep his people to the end will also present them at last to himself. As Paul said, he did this to present her to himself, a glorious church without spot, Or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. I think that's pretty cool. So, pure spiritual virgins without spot or stain. And how will Jesus make us faultless? Well, I'm glad you asked. He will wash us, right? He's the one, our sins in His blood until we are white as snow. So, we shall be unblameable and unreprovable. And He will make us so perfectly holy. That we shall no longer have these lingering tendencies of sin. Isn't that going to be a wonderful day, guys? I can't wait. You know, we can do things pretty well, we can mature in Christ, but that sin nature, it is a bugger to the day we die, guys. <laughs> it is there, and for it to finally be gone, it's going to be awesome. So, judge it judgment, memory, will, every power and passion shall be emancipated from the power of evil and we shall be holy even as our God is holy. So the saints' beauty will be stunning as that of the place prepared for them because sin is gone, Satan is shut out, and temptation is passed forever and ourselves faultless before God. That's cool, okay? So, how many of us look forward to heaven? Yeah, let me tell you. And that's, I love that Jude concluded this way, because that's our hope. That's what's set before us. So I'd like us, in closing, to rehearse this song of eternal praise of all the blood washed hosts. So if you guys are ready to read with me the last verse here To God, our Savior, who alone is wise. Be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. So this shows us his magnificence, okay? Isn't that cool? So, no doxology in all of Scripture do I enjoy more than the end of Jude here. Well, real quick in closing, what's a doxology? I'm glad you asked, okay? Okay. Doxa, glory. Lagos, a word or a say or a sayin. Okay, we know the Logos, right? The Word of God. This is Lagos. Okay, so this one by General Jude is pretty cool. And usually it speaks to four things to God, to glory forever. Amen. You guys can jot down Psalm 41, 72, 89, 106, and 150. All five of those at the end have. Those and we see it also throughout scripture in other places. Gloria excelsis Deo that we see in Luke chapter 2 is an example of that. That glory, the Shekinah glory of God. Even Jesus gives us at the end of the Lord's Prayer. You guys remember, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So we see it all over scripture. It's pretty cool. So it's never anything mundane. It's not when we find our parking spot at the mall and, like, oh, praise the Lord, hallelujah, amen, right? Uh, it's never trivial, okay? Never mundane, but it's marvelous. It's transcendence, it's redemptive, okay? It's God. So when some people hear that heaven is forever, often they think forever the same. No way, Jose, okay? the forever different. Thus, the denoting doxologies that explode throughout the revelation given to us like a campaign cork, you know, of a bottle that's been shooken up. You know, it just explodes. And then the Amen, guys, it's the seal stamped at the end of this letter then filled with this molten steel expressing the confident eternal majesty of God, the God who is able. And aren't you guys glad? So let's pray as we close. Father, thank you. We thank you that you are able and that you are willing. God, and we're so sorry for those that are out there who believe you're able but not willing or willing and not able. Lord, we are so thankful for your word and what you revealed of yourself. God, you are a good, good Father. And we are so thankful for the work that you have done for us upon the cross, something that we couldn't do, that you yourself, God, had to step out of glory, Lord, into your own creation and do what we couldn't do. We are so thankful for that. We are so thankful for this grace that has found us. Lord, and we don't want to be those who turn your grace into lewdness in any way. So we pray, Father, that you would renew our minds. God, that we would be tracking with what you say. Lord, not what we desire and it's so cool how it works out when we're seeking you father our desires change they become like yours and we just want to be in that sweet spot with you we want to be kept in your love and as we're receiving your love that we just be able to love you back and to love others lord it's so simple but i know in this fallen world with our sin natures lord God, an and enemy that hates us, it's so easy to get sidetracked. Father, we just pray that you keep us where we need to be. We're looking to you. We thank you for this short book, just how straightforward and needed this word is today for us in the church. And we want we want to have wisdom. We want to be able to discern the false teachers that are out there. And there are many, as you said there would be in the last days. So help us to be those that rightly divide your word. I pray for each and every one of my brothers and sisters and even those who don't know you. Would you please, in your kindness, just stir a hunger in us, Father, to dive into your word in ways that we never have before. And ultimately, it's all for your glory, Father. And it's in your name we pray. Amen? Amen.